everyone, and welcome to another episode of We The Scenario. With the long-awaited election just five days away, our team here at We The Scenario continues to work to bring you hope and inspiration via our amazing guests, and today is no different. We are so excited to be speaking with life coach and author Corey Lillard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so to get started, can you give us just a little bit of background about what you do and why you decided to come on today's show? Um, well, I grew up in Oakland, California all my life, and I've seen a lot of things. Um, I'm an author today. I'm the longest, uh, I'm the president of the longest ongoing Martin Luther King multicultural rally here in the Bay Area. And I set up workshops and I do speaking engagements to help the youth in the community and to try to educate them that, you know, we don't have to become products of our environment, our victims of our circumstances. And, you know, that's what motivates me. I've seen a lot of things growing up and I just want to give back and share and, and try to strengthen the youth and let them know that it's better, better ways out there. It's better directions we can go. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we did a little bit of research on you before the show, and you have a story that many of our listeners might be able to relate to personally. So can you talk a little bit about that, what you went through growing up as a kid in East Oakland, and how these events inspired you in your life and career? Okay, so um, I'll go back to the beginning. I was raised in a motel room. It used to be called the Beverly Terrace on MacArthur. And, uh, you know, I seen a lot of things there. My mother and her guy sold drugs and they was alcoholics and her man used drugs. And, you know, growing up in a household like that, it was a lot of violence and, you know, a lot of things. As far as when the Nintendo came out, I remember coming home and it was gone and it was uh, given away, you know, due to pay the rent. So, you know, as a young man, I suffered a lot. You know, I was embarrassed to bring people to my home because I lived in a motel. So after growing, you know, at the time, I wasn't a sad kid. You know, I was a happy kid. But just growing up in those type of circumstances as I got older, I seen the damage that it does to people. And, you know, when I got older and I seek for more better ways to live, you know, it just touched my heart to give back and, uh, you know, show to people that like Mr. Dwayne, you know, we can grow up in these type of situations, but we don't have to be like our peers that we see on the corner or even our classmates that's doing the wrong thing. You know, we could become better. So through my life experience of you know, uh, suffering and seeing a lot of things. It just, you know, today is nothing more passionate than I'm about than just helping give back and share what I've been through to try to help motivate others to see that we can overcome it and do better. That's great, man. So I got a question. When did you get the idea to write Body to Walk to the Light? And what can readers expect to get out of that book, brother? Okay, so um, I'm the youngest, uh, and I took care of my father for 13 years. He got dementia, and um, he was disabled. 
And when I got a phone call saying they was going to put him in the home for the rest of his life, I was the youngest in the family. And it was no way that I was going to let my father go to a home. So I stepped up to the plate and I took care of him for 13 years by myself, you know, with no support with my family. And one day I wanted, you know, I always was seeking to give back. And I didn't want to do it with rap because I had daughters and I didn't want them to um, be in school. And then a classmate, you know, like, is that your father? I always wanted my daughters to be proud of me. And with dementia, my father out of the blue just said one day, you're going to have to write a book before it's over for me. And right then and there, that gave me the outlet to do something that I can be proud of in a way that I will be proud of and not just for myself, but for my children and for the people who respect me. And that's what encouraged me to write the book. And in the book, you can get a story of a vision of a young man being raised and brought up in a certain way, a, a certain environment and being taught certain things, but always seeking every day to be better. And, you know, one day a light bulb lighting up in my head explaining to me that, you know, the reason why I thought the way that I did was because of what I've been through. And right then and there, I knew I was a victim of my past and, and I always considered myself to be strong. But right then and there, I felt so weak because it wasn't nothing strong about my life. It was everything that my past created me to be. And that's why I took initiative to seek a better way to live and to apply it to my life. So that's what you could get out the book. You know, uh, someone being raised a certain way and at one point going against everything they was taught to become better and to give back to the community and the people who suffered and been through things just like, you know, a person like myself. Right. I mean, taking care of your you know, your family by yourself. I, I can relate to that because I've done that too. But because of that, do you ever feel in that time you were doing it that it took away from your growth? Like sometimes that, that runs through my mind. I'm real realistic with who I am, you know, and I have to ask myself these questions while I'm doing it. Am I doing it for some personal gain or am I doing it because I really care? You know, I ask myself these questions. How did you feel going through that time you was taking care of your family by yourself and no help? I've had that. How did that make you feel? How did you get through? So initially, initially, I, you know, like I say, I lost my mother. Well, I didn't say, but I lost my mother as uh, soon as I turned 13, six days after I turned 13. Up until that time, I watched her get beat every day. And, you know, when I initially got my father, I really when I was uh, at the age of 26, 27, when I got him, I didn't feel no love since I lost my mother. I haven't felt love since the time I shared with her, even in the midst of all of the madness. And for me, you know, being raised loyal and it was just something in me, but for me, it was important because the whole time I was being raised, I was fighting for something to love. You know, I was fighting to feel love that even though I got my father in the condition that he was in, it was still a form of me knowing that placing myself around one of my parents would help uh, soften my heart in a way. It would help me 
in a sense, I didn't feel bitter, but I knew it would have helped me not be so bitter to the world, just being around one of my parents. And, you know, it was challenging because the first three to seven years, I didn't understand as the youngest being raised in a family that we told each other, we love each other every day. But yet the first three to seven years being the youngest one in the family and most of my sisters and brothers had partners, two incomes, and it was, you know, me being the youngest. And I didn't understand how they couldn't come through and help me with my father. And it, you know, kind of bothered me because I was wondering if you love, if you say you love me, but you don't help me take care of my father, how can that be so? So, you know, through having my father, I made it a goal for that to be my only mission. And that was to be there and support him to his last days. That was for me, the best mission that I could have served in this life. One of the first missions and, you know, I, I stuck to it. And in the process, considering the way I was raised and, and how abandoned it, I feel, you know, not in a sense aware of it, but my actions and everything showed it that I didn't feel love. And what I use my father for, not just to be there for him, but actually to regain life for myself. And I know I can honestly say I wouldn't take back that 13 years. Yes, it took a lot out my life, but to overcome what I've been through up until that point, it took, it would have took a long time to isolate myself to overcome the, the mindset that I had. So it was a blessing for me. And, you know, I, I, I don't feel I lost a lot in that process. I do feel fresh right now, though. It's just turned a year since he's been gone. And, I, you know, and I had to learn to understand I was free, you know, because my first, it was literally seven days a week I had to be in the house with my father. I changed diapers. I had to literally feed him. So I was so used to taking care of him. The first months he was gone, I didn't even think I could leave the house. I thought I had to be, you know, I had a 30-minute window or so, so. You know, I don't, to answer your question, no, I don't feel like I lost anything in life. I feel like I'm fresh in life and I'm ready for this mission and journey that I have, this vision that I see. Me too, brother. I just, your, your story is very similar to, to what I've been going through, so, and what I've been through. And, and I stand the same way you do, you know? <laughs> like, put the world on my shoulders, put another one on top of that, I can handle it. So, I can appreciate it, man. I'm, it got me emotional when you were talking about it, because... You know, Dwayne knows, I've, and Robert, my, my team knows, I've been through a lot in the last four years, you know what I mean? So hearing right. that strength is definitely a help to me. So I just yeah. want to say thank you for that, man. <laughs> Miss Maggie, on you, sweetheart. Yeah, so you were talking about um, what you were reflecting and feeling kind of weak at some point in your life. Um, what did you do the day that you decided, okay, I'm going to try to turn this around? And what was kind of the first step for you there? That's a great question. So when I realized at 27, and I always ask God, you know, why do I have such a good heart? But why do I feel, you know, so bitter about mean people? 
And through my thoughts, when it came and fit your past and it fit your life story, I realized right then and there that even the people that hurt me or attacked me, in a sense, it probably didn't even have nothing to do with me personally or even the way they wanted to be, but it was a good chance it could be from they past and what they've been through. And a lot of people don't know how to vent. And a lot of people reach a point to where they just get tired in life. And if you don't pay attention to your environment and, and what you experiencing, you won't pay attention to your output because we do a lot of things that make us feel good. And one thing I learned, hurt people like to hurt people. So what I done, I realized, you know, I took a reflection of all of the people who raised me and who taught me and who was in my environment. And I looked at, you know, the way they treated people. I looked at a lot of the people who died or went to jail, um, the things that they done to get there. And I realized everything around me was a mirror of who I was. You know, I may not have done exactly the things they done, but I had the same mindset. And, you know, for me, considering being aware of my past, losing my mother, seeing so much violence, I knew that my heart was hurt. And I knew that if it came down to it, I can hurt somebody and not feel bad for it. So I was wise enough to go to different places and see how different people live. And I just took a note of it. You know, I, I was quiet a lot. And, and a lot of times I asked questions, but I just learned how different people respond to different things, but not coming from a habitat or a environment like the one I came from. And I just paid attention to it. And then I learned a different view of response. And I'll be honest with you, you know, a lot of places I placed myself was totally boring to me. It was, you know, not interesting at all, but I kept in mind that anything that I didn't know was going to be born. Anything that I, I was uh, seeking to learn would be challenging. And I kept that front and center in my mind and I marinated in those places. And, you know, the sad thing when I started to change a lot of the people I was raised with they talked about me. They didn't want my company no more. You know, they, they told me, you know, uh, I wasn't myself. And it made me feel good because right then and there, I knew I was changing. And right then and there, I knew I was strong because I didn't let what they done reflect my response to it. And, you know, uh, through my life, I always liked it to build muscle, to, you know, the, the, to be, to be in my own lane. I never was a follower. So that type of mindset, you know, helped me get through it. And I just kept front and center in my mind, the things that the people was doing who taught me stuff, the results they was getting from it. And I knew I just didn't want no part of it. So that just helped me stay focused and, and learn new things to be a better person. Nice. Yeah, that's interesting that all your old friends didn't want to spend time with you anymore once you started kind of changing your life for the better. That's kind of indicative of that maybe those weren't the type of people you want to be hanging out with ever, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and even today, 
Uh, quick story. I had a friend come down from Portland and I still know all my friends. And, you know, I took him back in our neighborhood and he asked me, he said, why everywhere we go, a certain part of our friends move to the other side of the street? It's like they just get away from you. And I say, you know, a lot of them is showing me respect because they don't want to involve me in what they doing. And some of them is too challenging to hear the things that I'm going to say because I don't alter what I say because I could be talking exactly about the same things they doing and sharing the results to them and where it will lead you to. And they respect me enough to not disrespect me, but I understand the challenge that comes with growing and everybody for some reason, this world teach you strong is weak and weak is strong. And everybody is just not ready to grow and you can't force them, but I noticed that's what that come from. Elevation requires separation, brother. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir. <laughs> Go ahead, Ms. Maggie. Um, so today you're a very physically healthy and active person. How did you kind of discover that outlet and way of being and did it help you steer clear of less health, healthy coping mechanisms like alcohol use or drug use or hanging out with the wrong people? Most definitely. So um, my father always used to have us do push-ups, but in the 13 years of taking care of him, I had to be in the house a lot. So what I done on uh, yard sales, I started buying weights because it was nothing to do and I love to work out. So after a while, my results start becoming amazing. And I start, you know, seeing a lot of people ask me like, you know, what gym you go to or what do you do? And for me, I just bought weights and abused them. But and I, by working out with them, I mean, but um, it became addictive because it, I love seeing results. Like in my house, I have a lot of plants and I love to see things grow. So when I start seeing my body transform and I start seeing, you know, YouTube and people my size and seeing me become a lot stronger than them. And even the guy who coached me at one point who I thought was totally amazing. And in three years, you know, I beat him in the weight that he was lifting. But in the process of it, it changed my lifestyle because the people that I start start gravitating to me had a different type of mindset. And I didn't plan on attracting them type of people, but there's a whole world for people who care about their physique and they help. And uh, when I start gravitating to those type of minds and those type of people that intrigued me to really be great at it because I'm looking at people done it professionally, ask me questions on what I'm doing. So I became a teacher at it without even trying, just at home, you know, uh, taking care of my father and, and doing a lot of lifting. Man, man, people don't realize taking care of another human being, another grown human being is not easy. You know, it's, it's like trying to take care of you in another form. So much respect to that. But uh with this pandemic going on, how have you uh, handled a lot of the events that's happened? You know, where's your mental health and what have you been doing to stay grounded in a situation that we're all going through? Well, I look at life a little different. You know, I'm just blessed every day to go through anything is a blessing for me. 
So I really haven't experienced the academic at all because whatever come with life is a gift and an honor for me. And, you know, um, my kids is, is doing amazing far as the online stuff, um, the Zoom classes and everything. But, you know, I'm an isolated person anyway. And it seems like, you know, where I come from, a lot of the times my isolation ain't by choice. You know, the path I'm on, probably one out of 20,000 people in this community is on or is even willing to be in the company of someone like me. So the, the pandemic and the isolation was a normal day for me. You know, I spent a lot of time at home. I'm finishing up writing my second book. I also just wrote a, a companion guide to my first book you know, 10 steps to change your life. And um, I believe I just finished it this morning and I just got to do some cleaning up to it. So, you know, I raised my kids and through life it showed me that we ain't guaranteed to be here tomorrow. And it's just about appreciating today and enjoying yourself today because life is a given. And I live in a space of not wanting more than what life gonna give me wise enough to make great decisions to make sure that I'm here for the days that life will give me. So, you know, for me, it, it's been a pandemic for me because the things that I do like <laughs> Mr. You know, Akins do, I'm pretty sure, you know, he probably uh, tapped into a different environment in a different world and found a lot of more like-minded people like him. And I have that group too as well. But a lot of the times I spend, you know, at home isolated, uh, getting my mind right. If I'm not doing speaking engagements, I'm coming up with materials to help the people. That's so beautiful, man. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now, I got a question. You're a father of three daughters? Yes, two in college. Uh, my oldest daughter, a junior. My second daughter is a sophomore. And my third daughter, she's in the eighth grade. And my, my oldest daughter, San Francisco State, 4.0 student in college. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, you need to be in the newspaper or something. People need to see these kind of inspiring things. Uh, but as a, as a girl dad, so to speak, how was that? And how did you handle that, man? I have one daughter. I have problems. I have serious problems. You know what I mean? She's 16, and uh, I'm losing my mind here. You know what I mean? My beard is getting grayer as time progresses. <laughs> <laughs> how, did you, you know, how did you handle, you know, raising three daughters? That's had to be a lot, man. Yeah, well, I come from a family that was real family orientated. But however, for my daughters, I always had a lot of love in my heart. You know, I'm a, a protector by nature. And the weird part was growing up, I was really taught to not respect the ladies. And in a sense, it wasn't being taught to disrespect them, but the activities I was shown and the things that I was shown on ways of how my peers was treating the ladies was very disrespectful. And when I had my daughters, you know, I had a lot of repent to do because, you know, uh, like I that said, I was raised... <laughs> You know, to, to have more than one lady, I was raised to not compromise when you, you do wrong things to the lady. So what I done, I, I just educated my children. 
You know, I educated them on where I came from and the lostness to what I knew. Because at that time I was doing those things. That's all I had in my brain to work with. That's all I knew. So I didn't know it was wrong because I didn't have any other examples. And, you know, I always teach my children, you know, you're only as good at, or you're only as smart as your rear view mirror. You uh. know? So enable in any situation is good to educate yourself. It's good to get more than one view to the situation so you can know exactly what you're doing and if what you're doing is right. So even their mothers, you know, I could never stop apologizing to them enough because at the time I was lost, it doesn't take away the pain and the suffering I put them through, through my actions. And the only thing I could do today is what I'm doing currently today. And that's giving back and exposing the things that's being popularized out there. You know, even in the midst of my friends still doing them, but educating them in their face. Or even when we out, educating the ladies who may be coming to the table, you know, making it obvious what disrespect is. Making it obvious what a man won't respect you for. And, you know, my daughters, they always, uh, they always was good young ladies, you know, um, I made it a point to have them spend, you know, a lot of time with their mothers because I knew that the way I was raised was kind of tough. And, you know, me personally, I always wanted my daughters to have some affection to them, to not be so tough or not be so aggressive because in my life that hunts me today, you know, when I meet certain women, I'm single now, but I have met certain women that been become to be so bitter because of life and it's not even them, but everybody gets tired of things, but you can meet a man like me today who's not, who don't stand for those things and who come with a different energy. And that woman could be a great woman, but the, that strong energy she apply to the relationship can shut me down or can steer me away. So, you know, it's it's been a challenge, but just giving back and being, you know, uh, understanding to the things that I've done and obedient. I can't ask for no more than what life give me. And I'm, I think, God, I don't even look at situations as bad. There is no good or bad situations. It's just all appreciating life and, and learning better and educating myself and my peers as I go along. Whether we're here or not, this thing is going to roll, man. Life <laughs> rolls, you know, whether you right. or you not, man, the time's going to keep ticking. That's right. Uh, I just want to say, man, this has been like a, a service today, baby. You like passed the Lillard up in here. But I appreciate you. Miss Maggie, go ahead and take the floor, my dear. Yeah, so what you were just talking about, I feel like is so important. And Dwayne just put something in the chat that this is an issue that we kind of shy away from. Um, so I just want to ask you another question about that. Um, what advice would you have for the young men and the young women on this call on just like, how to treat your romantic partner with, with respect and what that looks like. Okay, so um, growing up, I was taught to be more loyal to my friends than my lady that I would go home to every day. And one day I viewed that and I asked myself, because when I get in trouble, a lot of the times the friends is too busy to be there for you. 
and the lady, your lady or your companion is usually the one putting in all the work. And it just didn't make sense to me no more. I thought that was the most stupidest thing you can do is be more loyal to your friends than your lady. And I can honestly say for the people who listening in life, you get out what you put in. And a lot of the things we do, you know, we are energy driven people. So it don't matter how you place your words or how you think you treat somebody. If your heart ain't in the right place, the energy you deliver to that individual is gonna be what they receive. Words is just meant to describe what you're saying, but there's an energy behind it. And if you want better results or if you, you know, for the, for the men to the ladies, the best thing you could do is treat any woman respectful because we're here because of the ladies. You know, I know we talk a lot of the times to be popular is to have more ladies, but I grew to understand that's an ignorant state of mind. You know, um, for the ladies, ain't no man gonna respect you more than how much you respect yourself. You know, if a person don't respect you, that's not the person for you. Don't let a certain look have you dealing with anything that don't feel right. You know, make sure that the individual you with is, is making you feel right versus just treating you right, because it's a difference. And I wrap it up, you know, that question with this, what I learned in, in relationships. There's people who's closed-minded are who's raised to love a certain way and think a certain way. We all have our own ways we was raised. And at one point when I didn't have a different view, I thought everything I'd done was right. So just have an open mind to know that we're all raised to love different and we're all raised to think different. So have an open mind when you meet a person that they form of love may not be the same form of love you was taught. I was raised with a form of love that didn't have no compassion for how it made you feel. You have certain individuals that understand the true form of love and that's caring how it make you feel. So I, I always look where a person came from and, and try to get an idea of what they've been to to figure out possibly how they may treat me. Words, people know how to use them today and they don't use them with the right energy behind them. They use them just because it sounds good. So respect yourself, Google what respect is first and um, love yourself first and understand loving yourself ain't dealing with nobody else, nobody intentionally delivering you pain. That's not loving yourself, accepting that. And the more you let people to hurt you, the more hurt you will grow to become. And that's the person you're going to end up to be. So, you know, respect yourself, find out more about where people come from and you will see where they at today versus what they telling you. And, and I believe you have a better chance of, you know, being great and sustaining some of these relationships. Nice. Thank you so much for talking about all that. Like I said, I feel like it's so important for our young people to hear these messages. Um, 
So that was kind of specific to relationships, but do you have any advice that you would give to young people just in general, especially right now with everything we're going through um, and in the Oakland community? Yes, uh, have patience, slow your life up a little bit, focus more on your education and your uh, self well-being. You know, we have to find out who we are. A lot of us don't know who we are because we're not inflecting on where we come from. So the best advice I can give you is take a look in your past to see what you've been through and to see the things that the people who raised you taught you and get some different views to make sure that the things that they taught you is positive and things that can actually help you um, get a different outcome than maybe, you know, what we seeing out there in the communities. So just educate yourself a little more on where you come from. So you can find your present and you can help direct yourself better in your future. And have patience. You know, I teach my, my daughters, you know, I'm not going to accept my one daughter. She's going to be 23 years old before I accept any relationship from her. And it's because I want her to get through school and to get herself situated before she start working on any relationships because relationships is distracting and to entertain another individual emotions and feelings can distract you from growing in life. So my biggest message is to have more patience, you know, slow your life up a little more and try to educate yourself to be a better person so that your future will be a lot more brighter than, than where a lot of us is going and head. Nice. I love that. Um, I have a question now that comes from Dwayne. Um, what was the business process like to write your first book and what did it feel like when you sold your first book? So my mind worked breaths in the morning. So, you know, for me, I, I written myself my first book. I woke up every morning and I just wrote whatever came to my mind. And um, sometimes throughout the day in my phone, if I thought of a good topic, I would make a note of it. And that following morning when I got up at 334 o'clock, I just wrote on that topic. And I'd done that for at least two months. And it wasn't in no sort of order. And when I thought I had enough material, I went back and I put it in an order that I thought was accurate enough to uh, for the readers to follow the story. So it was just, you know, simply thinking back in my past write things, you know, every morning for a couple hours. And once I put it in order, I went and found someone who uh, had more education than me in grammar. And, you know, I paid that individual just to sit there with me to read it to make sure that my sentences was correct, my paragraphs weren't too long. And um, on CreateSpace, they have self-publishing. So you can literally get some material together Google up CreateSpace, and it's a lot of more platforms out there. And you can put your materials in the pamphlet that they already have prepared. And you can upload it, and right then and there, you can have you a self-published book. And there's two ways you can do it. 
you can buy your you you can buy your books for the price of what they make them, and you can sell them yourself. Or Amazon have a big platform, and they will put your book out the same day, and you don't spend no money. It will go to every platform they have, and they would sell your book to any viewers who want it and give you a percentage of it. And the day I sold my first book, uh, to answer that question, you know, it came out on Thanksgiving. Um, at that time, I was married to a wife. They had a bunch of grocery stores, and I did a book signing there. And to be honest, I haven't felt excited or um, joyful in a long time. I think my vision, you know, is so big that a lot of my accomplishments that I experience, I really have no feeling, feeling to it. And I always ask my daughter, how does it feel to be excited, my kids and stuff? And I don't know if it's from my past. I don't know if it's because my vision and what I want, what the things that I want to accomplish is so big. But to me, it was just, you know, another day. But to read the reviews from all different people from walks of life that they leave on my website, you know, it makes me feel good. But it, it doesn't, I haven't yet felt like I accomplished anything as of yet. And I don't know why, because there's a lot of great things that I have endured and experienced, but I haven't felt a, a joy yet to feel like I accomplished something. So it, it sounds sad. It sounds sad when I say it, but I, you know, that that's the story for me at this point. Well, I want to congratulate you because I think that's quite an accomplishment. And I, I think I speak for everyone here when we say we're excited for you for getting that book out. And really quick, uh, my first year and a half, I sold 500 copies by myself. <laughs> so, you know, and I haven't been out there really pushing it, but I'm over 500 copies sold. And that's without any, uh, you know, any platforms helping me sell the book. So I some people say that's great. Some people say some uh, some self-publishers haven't sold 30 books or something like that. They, so they tell me 500 is an amazing number so far. Yeah, definitely. I agree with those people. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay, so we have about 10 minutes left. Um, if anyone has any questions for Corey, like I said, you can drop them in the chat or DM me or Tone. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to do a quick transition to um, our new Don't Trip segment that Tom created. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Really quick, Tom. I have a lot of stuff that I was taking care of my father with. If, in, if, your, your, if your parent is bedridden or you need anything, I got a garage full of everything you can use for an elder. So Personally, you can contact me and you can come look at all of these things I have. If it can help you, I'll be more than happy to uh, give it to you. Thank you so much for that, brother. I appreciate it, man. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Our family is really going through a tough time. Uh, I find my way to to make sure that I get to work and, and, and be present. But, you know, my mother-in-law, she's in a really bad way and it's she's knocking on heaven's door, you know, um, so... It's been hard, but I do appreciate that, man. I thank you for the, for that offer, man. And if it stands and 
she fights through this, you're the first brother I'm going to call, man. All right, brother. Thank you, baby. Go ahead, Ms. Meg. Okay, so I'm going to get started with the rapid fire question. So number one is, what's your favorite homemade meal to cook or eat? I love vegetables. Uh, so it'll be a stir fry. You know, I eat three, three to four vegetables with each meal. So it'll probably be, you know, uh, three or four green vegetables, some yams, and quinoa. That's probably one of my best meals I would eat. Nice. And what is your favorite season of the year? Season. Um, I would say spring because a lot of things grow around that time the sun come out. And, you know, I, I love... I love watching things grow for some reason. So that, that'll probably be my favorite season. Nice, you're all about that growth. Okay, <laughs> yeah. um, so who living or dead would you wanna have coffee or tea with and pick their brain? Obama. <laughs> uh, and finally, what's a song that always puts you in a good mood? Zoom. I want to be free. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, does anyone in the audience have any questions that they want to ask Corey before we wrap up? I'm sure Dwayne, uh, I know Dwayne going to tap in here. <laughs> <laughs> I am Corey, like, we grew up together, and so like I knew we were going through stuff in elementary, but just to hear your whole story. And I'm like, I'm thankful that you just got to the space and stuff. And I, I tell a lot of the stories from like just childhood from E. Morris Cox to Amherst, seeing some of our friends die at Casamine and just like, so to see you living in this, in this energy, it's a beautiful thing. I'm thankful to know you and um 500 books so that's a big deal man <laughs> that that is an awesome amazing big deal uh and it's just bold to just come out and tell your story and like the shirt just do it and you out there doing it and uh just your heart is big and it's golden and i'm so proud of you thanks for joining us today Yep, and also I got shot at Amherst. So I went through six surgeries, was in the hospital for six months, seventh grade. I got shot uh, at point blank range, you know, and did, didn't feel it at all. I was internally bleed, you know, I got up. I felt it once I got to the hospital with all those surgeries, but also I was explaining to, you know, Mr. Dwayne, back in high school, you know, in our community, you know, uh, he knew I isolated myself a lot, but I explained to him the other day, it was things I couldn't share in the community. You know, a lot of people used to chase, you know, me around with guns trying to capture me so my family can pay them money. Uh, at Castle Mop, you know, me and my sister, she went in the house one day and I was on my way to school and some had me go back. And I noticed our front door was open and I go in and his guys with guns to her head. And one guy tried to grab me. We start tussling. The guy hit my sister in the head, but we got tied up with the stitching cords like you see in the movie. 
and our house got robbed, pillowcases over our head. So, you know, it's a it's a lot more to my story, and it's a lot I overcame. And you know, once again, to survive these things, and this is not one percent of the things that I experienced, but to survive these things and not become better from it. You know, at one point, becoming probably the most dangerous mind people out there at a young age and, you know, turning away from it because people praise you. And for some reason in our community, the more negative you are and the more violent you are, you get all the praise in the community. And one day when I became aware of what I was doing, you know, you can hurt one bad person. And when my mind started going deeper and seeking more, I say, even though you hurt this bad person, but they may have family members, they may have kids and they don't deserve to see this person who may deserve, you know, to be put in this place, but they don't deserve to go through what's going, what they gonna go through after you hurt this one idiot. So my mind start forgiving, it just starts seeking ways to forgive bad people. And today, you know, I, I thank God for still having tears. I can watch a sad movie and cry and people look at me like I'm crazy, but I embrace that because life took so much from me. I don't even know how I have the compassion to feel for other people. So, you know, uh, I thank you for having me on the show. You know, I look forward to doing great things with you. And if there's any time, you know, we have more time to share, y'all can get deeper. Because, you know, I'm an open book. Like, we can help them with anything that I have. And I'm still currently in the community, you know, um, all through the community. And like I say, setting up uh, workshops and, and trying to help the youth as much as possible. And tell people about your uh, your project you got coming up, what you're doing for your birthday. You, you give, you're doing something for people for your, for your birthday. Yeah, so uh, in East Oakland on 90th and Cherry, um, I still have a lot of family live there. So my last feeding, I, I fed 500 homeless and unfortunate people. And this year for my birthday, you know, my goal is going to be to feed 500 plus more. That's November 6th. And Saturday, I'm trying to close in on putting the event in at the estuary, which is by the Oakland airport. And I'm going to try to get together uh, a, a huge amount of people who's doing great deed in the community like ourselves, and just educate the community as much as possible with whether it's through our words or it's through our materials, but to just give back and in any way that we can. Nice. That's awesome. I, I, you rarely hear about someone doing something for um, 500 plus other people on their birthday. So thank you for that. Um, I want to get to some student questions that we have in the chat real quick. Um, so the first one is from Fernando. And this question was put in the chat when you were talking about your experience in high school at Castlemont um, with people chasing you around, um, looking to get money from you that your family owed them. And he said, did anyone ever actually shoot? No, and they wasn't chasing me to get money for when my family owned them, but my family had a lot of nice things. So they was chasing me around to hold me hostage to extort my family for money. And um, yes, there, there were some shootings involved, but I was a good runner at that time. I should have ran track, you know, um, but it, 
you know, growing up in our community is really dangerous. And if these people live here in the Oakland community, because I'm still in the 90s and 80s, you know, it's just watch your, if you control your environment, then you will have a great chance of uh, not coming across so many incidents. But be wise how you choose your friends, because you will go through what they go through if you're with them. Nice, thank you for that. Um, then we got two more questions. Um, the first is from Sandy. The second is from Jada. So Sandy asks, how did you fight off bitterness? And then Jada asks, what makes you want to keep going in life? Okay, how did I fight off bitterness? Um, just from keeping front and center in my mind that a lot of people, you know, uh, came from upbringings that they didn't have no choice to come from. And when you experience a great deal of pain, pain creates bitterness. So what helped me overcome my bitterness is going against becoming a product of my environment or you know, a, a, a product of my circumstances. So I always wanted to be my own person. I didn't wanna be a person after what life done to me. And the next question about keeping me going, you know, seeing so many of my peers and the young folks out there lost and, you know, um, the right back to victims of their past, you know, uh, victims of their circumstances. And I look at them and they don't know it's different outlets out there because a lot of us just circle the same community. But, you know, you get on that BART, you catch that bus, you go to different places and you will learn different things. But the mind is a terrible thing to waste and it, it gets a lot deep when it comes to what we know and how we know it. And it's grown folks my age and over older who still is not aware of the person they are today is because of the person they come from yesterday and the days before. And, you know, to me, I just have, it's, it's so much in me just want to help people see that there's a better way, but you have to find better places to find a better way. Oh, yes. You're spitting bars this morning, good brother. <laughs> Your bars is going in. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> so we have only one minute left. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to wrap up the show. Um, so thank you again to our guest, Mr. Corey Lillard. I think this is one of the deepest, most heartfelt interviews we've done thus far. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. I want to thank everyone in the audience. Um, again, Corey's book is called Body, The Walk to the Light and can be purchased at CoreyLillard.us. Um, Corey, is there anything else you want to promote right now? Peace, love, and respect. And liberation is my favorite word. Google liberation, because a lot of our minds have chains on them. All chains ain't visual. A lot of chains we can't even see. So, you know, liberation, peace, love, respect. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. Um, so for everyone here, you can listen to all episodes of We The Scenario on Spotify, Apple, Anchor Podcasts, and YouTube. You can also follow us on Instagram at We The Scenario Podcast, Mentoring on the Fly, and We Lead Ours. As always, a shout out to our sponsors, Tupe, OUSD, The Bay Area Seminoles, and Wheelow. 
Um, as a reminder, the Legit Money Club is in full swing and meeting virtually every Wednesday at 1 p.m. So thank you again to everyone who joined us today. My name is Maggie B. I'm here with my co-host, Tony Sionem. Everyone, please vote. If you can, stay hopeful and healthy, and we'll see you next week on We The Scenario. Mm -hmm.